This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production, with support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. Maybe we'll find treasure. My boyfriend, Jason, says it every time we're outdoors. Only on this weekend, a weekend that started like any other, we did find a kind of treasure. It was Labor Day weekend in the Sierra. We'd arrived the day before with the plan of heading for Mount Darwin, an ice climb deep within the evolution range. As we geared up at that car that morning, I realized that in our usual flurry of last-minute packing, I had brought the wrong boots. I hadn't worn them recently, and my feet weren't toughened to their stiffness. I assured Jason that I'd be okay. He gave me one of those skeptical, whatever-you-say looks, and we headed out. Within hours, I had to stop continually to dress my blisters, and we progressed at a snail's pace. I realized I couldn't stop the inevitable. Hoofing a pack stuffed with climbing gear for three days in these boots, I was going to make minced meat of my feet. I was in pain, and with no million-dollar prize waiting for me at the top of the mountain, I saw no reason to take it on the chin and endure. A split-second decision, and somehow I'd sabotaged both of our weekends. We weighed our options as the day drew on. Now, if Jason ever came to me and said he wanted to turn back because his feet hurt, I would be pissed. But in his gift for always making the best of things, he graciously understood. Jason declared our new objective was to have a relaxing evening camping down by the lake, thus sealing his nomination as the world's most understanding boyfriend. The next morning, we took our time packing up and began to leisurely hike back to the trailhead, stopping to inspect flowers and geology and admire the views. We never hiked this way, wandering around without a mission. It was nice to forego the alpine start for once and take it easy. Now, if I'd been tying my shoe or cleaning my sunglasses, I would have missed it. It was by slim chance that I happened to be walking by that very spot and noticed an odd pile of rocks at the base of a boulder. We unearthed a PVC pipe and unloaded its contents. Some photographs, a bottle of cinnamon schnapps, and a notepad. Jason started by flipping through the photos. One was of a man riding a lawnmower with a little boy in his lap. Another photo was of a couple, a woman and the guy from the previous picture. The next was a group photo, and one of the faces smiling back was our guy. I opened the notebook. On the first page, someone wrote, In loving memory of John, friend, brother, lover, father, 1959-1998. to We return on this date every year to remember his life. Whether you're a friend, family, or stranger, write an entry and take a shot in memory of John. Whoa, this was not the box filled with knickknacks and seashells I was expecting. All of a sudden, the mood became heavy. I felt badly about getting so excited at our find. Jason pointed out that the notebook stated he passed on August 21st. It was then September 2nd. We were both stricken with a sense of common time and wondered if anyone had visited the site the weekend prior. Being that it was a holiday weekend, someone could have been on their way up that very morning. It made the notebook feel alive.
We sat down and started flipping through the pages of handwritten entries. Slowly, we pieced together the life of a man. We learned John was blessed with many loving friends. One by one, they'd taken the time to hike to this remote perch of rocks by a pristine alpine lake and spill their hearts onto these pages. On the first anniversary of his death, over a decade ago, the sense of loss and despair was palpable. We read entries by his girlfriend and updates about the two small children he left behind. We learned of old memories and future aspirations never realized. Seeing his children graduate or being there for his daughter's wedding. It felt awkward to read through the pages so raw and exposed, like I was peeking into someone's journal. Yet here it was, out in the open, inviting anyone to join. And so we continued. In the turn of a page, a year elapsed. Nine-year-olds have their tenth birthdays. Nieces and nephews are born. Grandparents passed on. 9-11 occurs. For some, the healing had begun. For others, it wasn't as easy. A brother's anger written across the page, recalling how he urged John to stop climbing solo, and the despair he felt thinking of the peak that took John's life, of the difficulty in forgiving him, even years after John's death. More pages turn. Three years after his death, his brother returns, declaring himself free to forgive John and move on by writing the words on the page that we now read. The poignancy of John's story hit us hard, and it was only natural to compare it to our own narrative. Did he perish on the peak we were headed for? Could our fate have been the same? Just days before, as Jason and I gathered Beta on the route, we had conveniently brushed aside the descriptions of unreliable rock. Now, I felt exposed and foolish. As we came toward the end of the journal, the tone of the writings changed. Anguish evolved into acceptance. The stories became less a practice in closure and mourning. People talked less of their feelings and reported more of the mundane happenings of daily life. Before our eyes, the healing process was at work. Life carried on. As we flipped to the end of the notebook, now 14 years after John's death, the writing became less frequent as only the hardiest continued to make the journey. His aging friends complained about growing older and the increasing strain of the hike. Entries contained apologies to John for having missed a year. It was when they didn't have the answers, they set out on their pilgrimage to this sacred place to sort out their confusion. In a strange way, I hope that every one of these people can come to a point where they don't feel the need to visit this memorial every year, or even at all. As we closed the notebook, I was in tears. I looked over to Jason, who couldn't hide his watery eyes. Neither one of us felt much like talking. I've never known anyone who's died climbing. John is the closest I've come. When I think of all the people affected by his loss, it makes me think of my own family. The beauty of his dedication is that it's kept alive by his loved ones. Unlike an epitaph, scrawled cold into stone, this book contains volumes, not only of John's life, but treasured memories of his kith and kin. Decades after his death, this little book will espouse John's story to others as it did to us. It's a book with no ending, 
a current living memory. Finding John's memorial was a true treasure. Now, whenever we return to the Sierra, I inevitably think of him, and it makes me take pause and think of the ripples any one of my choices in the mountains might make. Like any good alpinist, I dissect his story and try to learn what could have been done differently. The answer to this question is everything and nothing. An athlete can take a thousand precautions and have a lifetime of experience, but there is nothing you can do to protect yourself from every predicament. Whether it's the wrong boots that thwart your weekend, the happening upon a buried notebook, or that untrustworthy hold, it's the unpredictable elements that throw our lives off course, for better or for worse. This is life unstoppable. As we closed the notebook, we came back to reality and looked around with fresh eyes. All the beauty about us all took on new meaning. A man died here. For those who knew John, this place meant something different. On the first page of the notebook, it invited anyone, whether they knew John or not, to write an entry in the book. So Jason flipped to the next clean page, and he wrote, We didn't know John, but we can see he was a lucky man with many loving friends and family. Thank you for letting us share in this beautiful memorial to your friend, whose memory is now alive in us as well. Your friends from afar, Jason and Nikki. As we readied to leave, Jason shouted, Wait, we have to take a shot. I eyed the bottle, cinnamon schnapps, and grimaced. Jason took a swig from the bottle and let out a painful bellow. The best I can do was wet my lips a little and gag. I did it for John. We carefully placed everything back into the container and returned it to its resting place, where it will wait until the next unwitting hiker walks by and, by slim chance, finds a treasure. My name is Nikki Blonsky, and this is my short. Many thanks to Nikki for submitting her story. She's in full relaxation mode after training and fast packing the JMT in nine days. Awesome. Music today by the Walthall Tango, Woodrow Gerber, and Matt Mays, all courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Support for the diaries comes from you. Whether it's a submission for the shorts, a pledge contribution, a t-shirt order, or an email of thanks, you keep the diaries thriving. If you want to help, you can find all those necessary links at dirtbagdiaries.com. Of course, the diaries wouldn't be possible without New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. Their fall seasonal pump kick took the usual spiced autumn ale and added a kick of cranberry and lemongrass. Find it at newbelgium.com. And thanks to Kuat for their continued support. They've added a sleek and slim new roof rack to their lineup. You can find it at kuatracks.com. And of course, the diaries wouldn't be possible without the good people at Patagonia. The Diaries is produced by Fitz Cahal, Jen Altschul, and me, Becca Cahal. As always, thanks for tuning in.